Welcome, everyone, to episode 13 of Ohio Unsolved. I'm your host, Matthew, and welcome to the first episode of 2022. I've got a pretty interesting episode for you guys today. The first story I have is about the murder of Jack and Linda Myers. So let's just dive right into the stories. Sit back, make sure to lock your doors and windows, and get ready for Ohio Unsolved. Fifty-one-year-old Jack Myers lived on his 40-acre farm in Dark County, Ohio with his 55-year-old wife, Linda. They both ran the farm, they owned and operated a local pizza shop, and they also rented out residential properties. They also helped raise their four-year-old great-grandson, Damien. On March 27, 2003, they were both murdered. They were both shot with a shotgun at point-blank range while they slept. Their great-grandson, Damien, found them in the morning when he woke up. He then ran a mile down the road to a church where he attended daycare, covered in blood, and proceeded to tell them that his grandparents were melting. Once they figured out that it wasn't some kind of prank, the people at the daycare called the police and they raced to the scene. When the police arrived, they quickly found out what the young boy meant when they found the blood-soaked bodies of the couple still in their bed. Jack had been shot first, still asleep. Linda had been woken up by the gunshot and showed some defensive wounds and was completely unrecognizable due to the shot to her face. One of the police officers said that it was one of the most gruesome scenes he'd ever seen. The detectives began their search in and around the house and found that a window had been removed in the basement and a shoe print nearby. They also found that the phone lines had been cut and traces of blood in Damien's room shows that the killer had been in there. Damien had told the police that during the night he heard someone come up the stairs and enter his bedroom. He also told police that the stranger who entered his bedroom looked like a green monster, and the police suspect that the intruder was wearing green clothing. After talking to some neighbors, one told the police that she had noticed an unfamiliar minivan in the Myers driveway around 4 a.m. One peculiar thing the police noticed 
was that no cash or valuables had been touched. They decided that just in case they decided to come back and kill the young boy, they moved him into protective custody in an unknown location. They first looked at Damien's dad, Andrew Huffman. After the police found out that there was a custody dispute between him and Linda, where he had threatened her, but he was in Kentucky at the time of the murders and his employer was able to vouch for his whereabouts. The next family member the police looked at was Travis, Jack's firstborn son. Jack and Travis had a fight over money at some point, and Travis moved to Arizona to try and put as much space between him and his father. But he had moved back to Ohio shortly before the murders, but he also had a solid alibi. The police then started to look at Jack's youngest son, Greg. Greg had no criminal record, and he got along great with his dad. In fact, he was even his dad's best man at his wedding. But reports from friends and family say that he had been repeatedly denied a loan by his father to save his home. Due to a bank foreclosure, he was scheduled to be evicted from his home the following month. Being the father of two small children, Greg was in a panic to find new housing for him and his children. It just so happened that Greg stood to inherit his father's home and the 40 acres that it sat on. The evidence against Greg began to pile up. A family friend named John Helmendaller quickly told the police that Greg had asked him where he could get a gun to shoot his father. Greg's girlfriend, Jennifer Brown, then told investigators that when she woke up the morning of the murders, Greg was already gone which was weird for him to leave early for work because he, he also had an attendance problem as well as a substance abuse problem, which was previously unknown. But it was the physical evidence that really sealed the deal for them. A Walmart in town had receipts showing that he had bought ammunition and masking tape two days before the murder. A week before, Greg who drove a miniman like the one the neighbor spotted in the driveway, bought latex gloves, a pair of Route 66 brand gym shoes two sizes too small, a green windbreaker, green pants, and a pair of black stockings. After the murder, the police found those same items in a bag that had been thrown into the Stillwater River. They also found a Winchester 12-gauge shotgun with the serial number rubbed off. One of the gloves also had Greg's fingerprints inside. The police were able to uncover most of the gun's serial number to trace it to a private owner named Eugene Adams, who said that he had sold it to Greg for $175 on March 25, 2003. Greg was then arrested and bail was set at $500,000. The Dark County prosecutor offered him a deal that would take the death penalty off the table, but he would have to plead guilty to aggravated assault and two counts of aggravated murder. Greg declined and decided to take his chances at trial. After only eight hours of deliberation, the jury convicted Greg on all counts. They did spare him the death penalty, but he was sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole, plus five years for aggravated burglary and six years for the use of a silencer. In 2006, Greg would file an appeal due to alleging unfair jury selection. 
the Ohio Supreme Court upheld his conviction. Greg currently resides in the Marion Correction Institution. Damien's mother, Amber, who regained custody of him shortly after the murders, went on to say that Damien suffered from nightmares for a few years of him being chased by a green monster, but he began to feel safer as time went on. He also got counseling to help cope with such a traumatic experience and is said to be in a much better place now. Wow. That's all I can say to that. How greedy and selfish can one person be to murder their own father and stepmother just to inherit their farmhouse and land? Thankfully, Greg is in prison for life, and there's no chance that he can ever get out and hurt anyone else. The next story I have for you comes from the website OhioExploration.com and it's about a ghost simply called The Light. In the fall of 1997, sometime in October if I'm not mistaken, two friends of mine and myself went to see The Light. It was your typical fall night with weather in the low 50s and a light rain. It had been raining most of the day, either a steady or heavy rain. We made the journey, and at this time, the house where the girl lived was still standing. At the bend where the man had his accident, a house sits off to your left. A tree in front of the house had a smoldering fire around it. We thought this was odd since it had rained all day, but thought nothing of it till later. After we made the journey, we turned around and made the turn again, and one of us made a comment about how odd the fire was. We pulled ahead about 100 feet from the tree and turned on and off the headlights three times as the ritual states. Then we sat and waited for the light. A couple of minutes had passed. Then my friends started to see the light ahead, but only a speck of it. I, in the meantime, didn't see anything yet. I started to hear a noise. Chris and Drew, my friends, kept on trying to point out the light to me, saying, I can't believe you don't see it. It's right there in the middle of the road. Yet I saw no light. Then I realized what the noise I was hearing was because it kept getting louder. It was an engine. Yet there was no car or bike anywhere around us. Chris and Drew kept talking about how the light was getting closer and I kept on telling them that the sound was getting louder. I couldn't see the light and they couldn't hear the engine. We kept on arguing with each other because we were all experiencing the same thing, but in a different way. Then you could feel its presence. All of us could feel it. My friends kept on yelling about how the light was almost on top of us while I could hear the engine screaming in my ears. Then all of a sudden, the loud ear-piercing scream happened. We all heard it. That was enough for us. I started the car and got us the hell out of there. This was just too much. Halfway down Milford Road, Drew and Chris started to see the light was following us. I can now see the light in my rearview mirror. I started to go faster, around 60 miles per hour, 
which on this road, in this condition, was completely insane. But it didn't matter to us. We started to head back to Hamilton via State Route 73 to State Route 27. We still kept on seeing the light follow us. We turned left on the State Route 27, and I'm going as fast as possible with the roads and weather permitting. As we were going up State Route 27, we see the light zip across a plowed cornfield to our right. We then go over a hill, and that is the last we saw of the light. It wasn't until spring of the next year that we dare go back to see the light. That time was more than enough to last me for a lifetime. Yet even still, any time I return back home to Cincinnati, I have to go see the light. Has anyone else tried to go see this for themselves? It's definitely a creepy story that I'm going to have to check out for myself. Maybe make it a video for my Patreon supporters. If you have done this yourself and you saw something, I would love to hear about it and share it on a future episode. Well, that's all the stories that I have for you today. If you like what you hear, please rate and review on both Apple and now Spotify. A higher rating helps others to find this podcast. Also, don't forget to share with friends and family. Come join us on Facebook. The group is now 500 members strong and still growing. And don't forget to follow us on Instagram as well. If you'd like to support the show, come on over to Patreon where there's three tiers to choose from. Speaking of Patreon, I would like to thank my newest supporter, Phil Cantone. Thank you, Phil, for joining. Now go slay that bubble dragon. Also, thank you to Professor Jacket and Greg Hickey for continuing to be supporters. It truly means a lot to me that you're still with us. Now with all that being said, make sure to keep your doors and windows locked and stay ready for Ohio Unsolved.